0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett. Sports Card Insights. This is an outtake episode. I had an interview a while back from uh, Jeremy Lee for a show called Today's Collector, which was part of the Mint Collective, or leading up to with those uh, particular sponsors. And I don't think I'm today's collector. I think I'm yesterday's collector. But Jeremy uh, talked about my collecting journey. And in the longer extended interview that you can see on YouTube at the Mint Collective YouTube channel, this is just the excerpt about my collecting journey that I thought was a little bit different than things I've talked about before. And I want to complete my oral history record that I want to leave behind when my time is done. My time is not done, but when it is, I'll have these uh, podcasts for people to (laughs) listen to, I hope. But uh, it's about my collecting journey. So, here it is. And uh, again, thanks, Jeremy, for your uh, insightful questions. And thanks, uh, Collectible and uh, others that got Mint Collective going. I'm in favor of things that uh, help promote the industry, the hobby, and uh, make it bigger, better, and stronger. And uh, that includes past, present, and future. I'm more from the past than I am from the future, but I am in the present right now and uh, enjoying what I'm doing. Again, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, listener. Here it is. Go to the YouTube channel, for the uh, full interview and the other interviews. I I was not the only uh, collector that was interviewed. So see you tomorrow after you enjoy this. What was your
1: strategy, your focus when you started building your own personal?
0: When I'm talking to people, sometimes I want to say, you should just do whatever you want to do. But when I started, I basically did what everybody else did. (laughs) The norm was to complete sets. So I get all the Topps cards, get all the Bowman cards, get all the Playballs, the goudies, the Leafs. Everything kind of 1933 up to the present of the 70s in those days, and that's just what everybody did, that's just what you did. And so, I enjoyed that. It's easy to keep score, you got a complete set, or you don't. And the guys would bat around what they were working on, and there was a pecking order of collectors based on what you had and what you needed. It was great.
1: It was a simpler time back then. There was one or two sets each year, even into the 80s. In the early 80s, you had Donruss and Fleer come onto the scene along with Topps. So yeah, most of us, and I was collecting in the 80s, we put our set together. Would you say back then, were there rookie card collectors? Were there Hall of Fame collectors? Were there team collectors? Were there those other sorts of approaches as well that were prominent?
0: Those were always there, but they, they weren't as prominent. prominent. Again, the internet and the digital space is really allowed for a lot of that. But and I'm really talking about the 70s. In the 70s, it just was tops. And so it was dismissive to even worry about this year's set of the advanced collectors. It was mainly a hobby of nostalgia and working your way back. But with just one top set, there were these mail order dealers that would send you one for 15 bucks. I got my 72 set for 15 bucks. 72 tops baseball. Yeah, so... That's a good buy. A decent buy. should have bought a couple more. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, you didn't think about hoarding. I'm really working my way back. I'm working on the 48-leaf SPs.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was really about building that set, and then you would just wait for the next year to come. No,
0: In the 70s, you didn't wait for the next year. It wasn't about that. That was the marketing of tops. But the advanced collectors that hit the show circuit, of which I was one, there there was very little consideration. It was the, the hot dog cards, the regionals, But in the 80s, yes, all of a sudden there was a lot more marketing of this year's cards and choices among the new entrants. And that actually brought an exciting dynamic element to it and brought the hobby into the present because it was a bunch of old guys in the 70s. Yeah. In the old days, it wasn't even about the cash. It was about being able to trade. You had to have good trade material. The whole show was like a trade night. You had your cash, but they didn't want the cash. They wanted equivalent scarce cards. I like to hunt and be surprised, (laughs) I like to buy a box of cards. I've rarely bought individual cards. I've mainly bought collections and that's the hunt. The hunt is inside the box that I bought, not hunting through somebody's table to buy the one card. I'm always looking for a quantity discount. I'm surprised at myself, that really hasn't changed. Back when I was completing all the sets, I I did have to pick up some individual cards that I needed. But after that, I'm just being opportunistic. And so I think that allows me to not have dry spells and to enjoy each show or each interaction as a fresh start. You mentioned that
1: it allows you not to have dry spells. I find that fascinating because even myself, who's a 40-year, extremely passionate hobbyist, I'm a collector for life. Sports cards are a big part of my life, but you still can go through some emotional ups and downs as a participant in the hobby.
0: I've had different roles. Of course, I've been in the hobby for these decades, but the first decades I was really a serious collector. And then for a couple decades I was a price guide guy. I was, I was, it was like it was the industry. I went from the hobby to the industry. And then the last 15 years or so since I've sold the company, I've turned it back into a hobby for myself. And the ability to pivot to go from hobby to industry to hobby. I can tell you right now, I enjoyed the hobby segments a lot more than the industry segment where I was an executive. And I've said I got kicked upstairs. I was in the hobby. I was in the thick of it, but I never got to touch the cards. I looked at the cards in the magazines. It's not the same. It's almost like an NFT. You can't touch it. There's a picture of it. No, I want to touch the cards and I went many years with very little card contact. I was a meeting with my outstanding team, and they were out and about a lot. But I wouldn't burn out. It was almost like I was on the sidelines for a while. Now I'm chomping to get back in and to have a more well-rounded hobby experience where I can buy a little bit, sell a little bit, and just and hang out with some good friends. You've been in a long time, so things go up and things go down. They more go up than down. And owning something, whether it went up or down, is still the pleasure of owning something. And so if somebody's not ready for that, if they got into it for the wrong reasons, that's what happened at the beginning of the junk wax era. This was a ticket to wealth, and they weren't touching the cards. They weren't even opening the cards. They were filling their garage with unopened products. I'm a big fan of being involved with the cards and the people. And if you are, you're going to have a lifetime fabulous hobby. You're going to be with like-minded people And uh, whether it's sports or non-sports even, you're dealing with subjects that you're interested in and your friends are too. And it's complicated enough you couldn't. I've been in a long time. You can't know everything. And I and accept that. But you can know more. That's why I appreciate your podcast. You're allowing people to understand and know more about the hobby. And to me, that's correlated with your enjoyment as well as the financial rewards. If you know what's going on, you're in the know, and you're learning. It's not luck. If you have a favorite player, hopefully it's a player that's going to do well. He's not going to get benched.
1: True. So if I were to summarize those comments, you mentioned the people, the relationships in the hobby. Go back to some collector friends, find some collector friends, do some networking in the hobby. That could be a way to get excited about the hobby again. You also mentioned always be learning. I think that's a a great concept. If you find that you're stagnant in the hobby, you're not enjoying it uh, this week as much as you were last week or in 2022 as much as you were in 2021, find something to learn. And whether that's podcasts, reading books, looking at cards on various platforms, reading old Beckett magazines to see what the, the hot stories were back in the day, there's many ways we can increase our level of knowledge in the hobby. Then finally, you want to touch the cards Go back to the cards that you have. There is that chase. We're always on the hunt for the next card. We buy cards, we receive them, and then we're on to the next card. It's worthwhile every so often. For me, it's every couple of months. I'll go through a different box or binder of cards, look at them, and enjoy them. Does that resonate with
0: you? True disclosure, I think I spend an hour a day, at least, looking at a different box of cards. So I, I have more than 365 boxes of cards <laughs> of various sizes. And so I'm rotationally going through, and it's a kick. But in the knowledge thing, it can be overwhelming if you go too broadly. That's why people that specialize in just hockey, that they love hockey, or basketball, even a smaller rosters, that they can get close to mastery more easily than some other things. Do something that you can get a handle on, and then go deep with what you love
1: yeah go deep with what you yeah, no, that makes good sense to me there are many approaches to curating a personal collection from player collecting to team collecting set building as we mentioned earlier and many more of course is there a particular approach that you think is either underutilized or overlooked in the hobby these days that may bring joy to a new collector who may not be aware of it a lot of new collectors but the first question that people ask somebody when they meet them in the hobby is who do you collect and i always say That's not the question. It's not who do you collect, it's what do you collect? Because there are so many different approaches to this hobby. They are not all player-focused. So to circle back to the question, is there an overlooked or underutilized approach that you think people should have in mind when they are growing uh, themselves within the hobby?
0: As I said, my first segment in the hobby, I was strictly a set. I probably had some extra superstars and things like that for trade material, but I mainly was trying to complete sets. And then I had not a hiatus, but I had that executive uh Time and then coming out of that, now I'm a pretty much a player collector. Okay, but the way I do player collecting is very broad. Even the asking the question of who's your favorite player, it's Roberto Clemente. But I collect a lot of people just because I think that's fun. So my problem with a player collector, and it's okay if they want to do this, but when you only have one player that you're chasing, then that's to me that's too limiting. I, I think people ought to have. A variety of players that they collect, and then they could and and some of them should be superstars, but maybe not all. I think that can be fun. Kyle, the Wax Museum guy, he's got his Indiana Pacer guys, and people are on the hunt for him. And it's it's Jeff Foster. He doesn't have a lot of competition for Jeff Foster, but he gets a kick out of that. And to me, that's a legitimate way to enjoy the hobby and not just the headline grabbing biggest stars. So it's not wrong, but I like to have a broader list of players that I'm interested in. Yeah, and, I think- and I encourage others to, because if you had all your eggs in the Zion Williamson basket and thought Ja was just Batman and Robin and he's the Robin and he's all of a sudden, it looks like that flipped a while back and uh, maybe Zion will get back out there. But Ja looks like the real deal. And so making decisions that this is my guy, it's, this is my only guy. And I'd like to see people follow the sport and have more than one guy they collect. I think it's like diversification. You don't have to, but uh, when I go to a show, I'm I'm always going to see something I like. And if I was only looking for Roberto Clemente stuff that I didn't have, I'd be in and out of the show pretty quick sometimes. In fact, it might not even pay to go to shows. I would do the internet and the auction houses, and it's just a question of, Do I want to outbid the other? I
1: think you're right. Diversifying your approach from one player to multiple players or or to a player in a few sets, it diversifies your enjoyment and it keeps you involved and it keeps you hungry. Like you said, if you're looking for one player, you're not going to have that much fun at a card show, especially if you already have most of their stuff.
0: Eventually, you will. (laughs) Eventually, if you have enough money, you will. And it's like when I got all the sets that were the meaningful sets that everybody else had. You have to go into the regionals, into the hot dog cards, the Stall Myers, the Wilson Wieners, the Cons, Glendale Meats, all these different sets that are really tough. And that was the currency. The first time I met Bill Mastro in the early '70s, all he cared about was I had a very rare Cons Wiener that he didn't have, and he dared me. He said, "No way you have that because I don't have that." And I said, I do have it, and I'll bring it to the next show. So it was the rare cards.